Welcome back to Between Two White Coats, a podcast designed to help you be the healthiest version of yourself. I'm Dr. Michelle Plaster, a family medicine doctor. And I'm her co-host, Amber Foster, a family nurse practitioner. In our combined 30 years in medicine, we've seen a lot. We're discussing key issues surrounding health and wellness, answering some of our biggest questions, overcoming health obstacles, and giving patient-centered advice in hopes of educating you and providing the tools you need to live a healthy life. If you find our podcast helpful, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will help other people find our podcast. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to serving you. Thank you for joining us today. We are thrilled to have Dr. Juan Lacayo, who is a neurologist that Amber and I have been blessed to work with on many, many patients, as we are very quick to send our neurology cases to Dr. Lacayo, who we trust very much. Dr. Lacayo has been practicing neurology for about 15 years. He uh, started his career as in uniform, similar to uh, myself, as we had the blessing to serve our country as doctors. And he was in the Air Force in Alaska, um, which sounds really awesome and maybe really cold all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Started in Alaska, ended up in Georgia. I mean, right. He was like, let's go south. <laughs> and then he joined uh, our community here as a physician about 11 years ago. That's great. Uh, and he has been practicing neurology down the road from us. Uh, and we, uh, I got to know Dr. Lacayo um, early into him moving here. And I have leaned on him for many years to assist us with our patients. So it is a true pleasure to have you join us and today we're going to talk about strokes a very common neurologic condition um, and a very serious neurologic condition Mm -hmm. and we want to help people understand a little bit more about strokes and how to make sure that they get the proper care if something like this is going on Um, so thank you so much for being here let's start with talking about uh, what is a stroke Uh, thank you for having me Um, I still believe the brain is the most important organ in the body, and a stroke is when a part of the brain does not get the blood flow that it needs to function correctly. Most brain cells have about four minutes where if they don't get the blood flow and oxygen that they need, that they start dying. Mm. And once many of them die, there's no coming back. I think for people, I, you know, sometimes we hear phrases like uh, cardiovascular disease and how does stroke sort of fall into that. And from a primary care perspective, I always think of people of being risk of stroke when they've had heart attacks and other things because I, I kind of clump it together as you have a blocked vessel. And if you have a blocked vessel to your heart, it can result in a heart attack. If you have a blocked vessel in your brain, it can result in a stroke. So sometimes I like to group people who have high cholesterol as being at risk of getting a blocked vessel in their heart or brain and higher risk of heart attack or stroke. So I frequently will overlap people who are at risk of these uh, of, of heart attack as being at risk of stroke too. But who are the people who are at increased risk of having a stroke? And, and that's true and it's a very valid assessment of cardiovascular risk factors and cerebrovascular risk factors because the same things that affect people, for example, hypertension or high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, bad habits like smoking, that all those things make it where any extra sugar or cholesterol plugs up the arteries of the heart, but the same process can occur in, in any artery in the body, including the arteries of the brain. 
Um, as they narrow up and narrow up further from all this extra gunk floating around in the blood, then at some point another little cholesterol plaque or sometimes the blood cells themselves, a little clump will come on and just plug it right on up and everything downstream can starve and die. And that's very important because it can produce symptoms. Whatever part of the brain isn't getting blood flow, it's not going to work correctly. So a lot of my patients uh, in yours as well said, I don't feel quite right. I don't know what I should do, um, but I just went back to sleep. You know, the next morning I got up and it was still there and I figured I'd just sleep it off again. And then days later, they're like, okay, I need to be seen because this isn't getting better and a little bit worse. Uh, a lot of people need to appreciate that, you know, time is going to uh, make you lose those brain cells. Like I said, four minutes. Uh, most people who have stroke symptoms that come and go will be 15 minutes or so. And so if someone has it, they feel like I'm just going to, to let it pass, it could pass. Uh, and those uh, small strokes, some people call them mini strokes, what we call TIAs, means that there's a greater chance of having a big stroke right behind it. So the people who have those risk factors of high blood pressure actually is number one. Anyone who's had a stroke-like or a mini stroke-like symptom in the past is a, another big cause, risk factor. Uh, people who have the habits of smoking and, and even alcohol consumption that's excessive because it dehydrates you, mm -hmm. you know? And so thicker the blood, the more likely it's gonna sludge up these arteries that's just circulating. Any extra sugar, for example, people with diabetes or extra cholesterol, some people may eat great but it just runs in their family that their body's going to hold on to all the bad cholesterol it can anything that has the potential for clogging up the arteries uh, those are people at risk factor for stroke and what are the symptoms of a stroke the symptoms of stroke um, for the most part we say something that makes it where you ain't right mm. so it see i like this gunk right you ain't right. right. This is my kind of neurologist, right? Yeah. Like, you are not right. Yeah. That's right. The, the thing is, you know, we have certain um, uh, protocols that we have people to remind them that if your side of your face is droopy, you know, if your eyelid is droopy, if maybe the vision goes out in one eye or the side of your vision, if one arm is weak or a leg is weak, if you're slurring your speech or you can't really get your words out, that all those could be signs of stroke. Um, I say that if you're not quite right, because, for example, dizziness. Mm -hmm. uh, dizziness, as most people describe, is the most vague symptom anyone could have. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people will feel dizzy. They may see um, in the emergency room and describe the dizziness just like you would vertigo, which is an inner ear problem. But the thing is, is you may never know if that's a stroke in the part of the brain that deals with coordination. Mm -hmm. So for um, people to try to figure out is this a stroke or is this vertigo is this a weird thing about my eye being blurry or is this a stroke um you know this numbness tingling that i did i fall asleep on my arm wrong or is this a stroke i don't want people to try to figure that out on their own at home uh, anything along those symptoms get checked out right away and i say call 911 get emergency services to take you to the place where you need to be and let us uh, figure that out I think I say at least once a day, I would rather you be at the emergency room and find out you're okay than to be at home and find out that you're not. Um, and when it comes to strokes, time is of the essence because there's a number of treatments that the faster you can get to that treatment, the more we can save, your, prevent uh, uh, the degree of brain uh, damage or 
uh, open up some of the blood vessels that are blocked and get some blood flow back to the brain. Um, can you talk to us about some of the stroke treatments and what kind of thing would happen? What kind of things will happen when someone gets to the emergency room if we think they're having a stroke? Yeah, and I agree with that. Great advice. Um, saying get checked out first. If you check out okay, and we realize you were just getting anxious, so be it. Right. Um, because on the opposite side is if we guess wrong and you have a stroke, that brain is damaged and it's not going to grow back. No. Um, uh, what we have now for people having stroke symptoms and coming to the emergency room is right away we need to take a picture of their brain. We need to see if there's bleeding or not. Most strokes, probably about 80%, are the clogged artery type. Um, so a CT scan initially will look normal. At that point, the doctor is like, I need you to have some blood thinning. And aspirin has been the only thing tested initially to say this is a pill. Um, or if you're not able to swallow a suppository of putting it in your system to start thinning the blood to break down some of the, the platelets that are clogging up and probably causing a stroke. Um, so that's usually the first treatment. If someone's blood pressure is too low, we raise it. If it's too high, we kind of lower it because there could be a point where the blood pressure is so high that it's actually not feeding brain cells very well. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be in that happy uh, medium. Um, and so if aspirin is there and people still have symptoms and they get to the hospital in a very timely manner, uh, hopefully as quickly as possible, you know, you want to get there within three hours because you have that CT scan. If the CT scan shows that there is blood present and we're on a different treatment path. Uh, if there's not blood present, and here's some aspirin, but then we're going to go on full-on blood thinning. Uh, and those are those clot buster drugs that we have. Sometimes it goes in the vein and arm. Uh, sometimes if we can actually see a clot on a CT scan, then we can send them to a very specialized stroke center. And a specialized stroke center will actually take catheters or lines and put them into the arteries that go up into the brain to actually grab and pull out that clot. Uh, and it's amazing when you see someone not being able to move aside, the clot comes out, and all of a sudden everything's working correctly. Yeah, it's one of the more impactful things that's happened to me in my uh, career is standing bedside with someone who's having a stroke, and they're slurred, and their um, muscle is paralyzed on one side, and they get that clot blocked uh, or torn up uh, with the, the thinning medicines, and you see them get their function back. Mm -hmm. um, it's really profound how some of these medicines work. But as we've said, really, the takeaway is that time is of the essence because there's a window of time that that's going to work. And when you're outside of that window, that option really comes off of the table as being effective. Um, so again, if, if, if anything is looking like a stroke, the faster that you call EMS and you get to the hospital, the more options that are available to you to make sure that there's less damage. Absolutely. And the stroke specialists are working on trying to figure out, can we do four and a half hours and we can still treat them? Can we go 24 hours and still treat them? Um, you know, that's why if someone says, oh, it's been four hours, there's no reason going. I don't care. You need to go. You as soon go. as you have opportunity, yeah. you better go right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned about um, the strokes that looked like possibly blood. So those are called hemorrhagic strokes. Um, um, and you mentioned TIAs, and then we've mentioned um, ischemic type strokes. Are there any other types of strokes? 
The, um, the actual, the largest type of stroke is, we call it cryptogenic, which means we don't know where it came from. <laughs> we always have we really have, fancy words yeah, for, for I don't, don't know. know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that happens, and it probably is a, um, a good chunk of strokes, to be honest. Uh, anytime someone has a stroke, uh, the first fork in the road of what we do is, is it a clot type or is it a bleeding type? Mm-hmm. Most bleeding strokes or hemorrhagic strokes are because of high blood pressure. Um, sometimes it may be where uh, the high blood pressure has been pushing on those arteries so much that one day they just burst and blood is everywhere. And um, I would just like to point out to our mm-hmm. patients who have this silent blood pressure issue and they're thinking, oh no, sometimes I'm floored and I say, your blood pressure is 180 mm-hmm. over 100. Oh yeah, it's been running like that at home. And they're just sort of comfortable there because <laughs> they're not mm-hmm. feeling anything until they are. But I try to explain it to people, if you have a small balloon and you're blowing air in it and you're blowing air in it and you start getting nervous when you have so much air because that thing's going to pop. Um, it's too much pressure inside and things can only stretch so far. And so the hemorrhagic strokes are certainly a horrible consequence of putting way too much pressure in something that can only stretch so far and that vessel ruptures and you end up with a hemorrhagic stroke. And so for anyone who's thinking, eh, I'll just wait till my next visit in three months to address this really high blood pressure, um, let's get the really high blood pressure addressed before you start feeling it. Yeah, Yeah. and I have to just reiterate that again. Uh, Absolutely true. You know, that blood pressure being high, a lot of times it's the the silent killer. You know, the hemorrhagic strokes have the highest amount of... uh, of um, mortality, meaning that if that's the kind of stroke that you have, there's a greater chance that you're going to die from it. And these magic medicines, if I can call them that, where you can have someone have a stroke and you give them this blood thinner that then helps to reverse the stroke in the right scenarios, um, those are absolutely not indicated in any of these situations because in an ischemic stroke where there's a clot, we're trying to break the blood down. But in a hemorrhagic stroke where someone's bleeding, we can't, we've taken away all the options of thinning the blood. That would make it worse. And so treatment for it becomes very different. And, and we don't have some of these advancements to help prevent the injury or prevent more damage to the brain. Yes, and, and, and that's where prevention is the key with those kind of strokes. I have a lot of patients that'll say, oh, I just had a mini stroke. Oh, it was like, just... It's just a small one. No big deal. Um, what would you say to that? <laughs> Every mini stroke and the, the term is, you know, TIA. It's a yeah. temporary attack of lack of blood flow is you have to treat it just like you treat a stroke. You know, just because this was temporary in the past uh, means that something is threatening to close up. And if you don't do something about it, if you don't have that stroke prevention in place, a stroke is going to be right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we um, may lose a patient who had a mini stroke, but then they disappear and they never call you again. Mm-hmm. But the ones that we do know about, there's probably at least a 30% chance after a mini stroke that a big stroke is going to happen the next month or so. And what are oh, the wow. things? I didn't we, realize the time frame was that short. And thirty mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. What are the things we need to make sure are happening in those patients who have had a TIA to prevent that next stroke? Eat right and exercise uh, is very <laughs> important. It. You are absolutely our You're favorite. You're so our yeah. person. Uh-huh. You know, and at, after that, it's uh, making sure that you do what your doctor tells you, <laughs> um, and that that blood pressure needs to be under control. The um, the blood sugars need to be under control. You know, your cholesterol needs to be under control. Back to the diet, of course. Um, those are, are are vital. They have to be done because that inc- uh, lowers the chances of another stroke in the future. 
Sometimes we'll have to have people on a little bit of blood thinning. We usually start off with aspirin or medications that work similarly. Very rarely do we have to go to full-on blood thinning. Um, there are a few uh, reasons that we have to do that. Many of them kind of related to the heart or heart rhythm or, or clots already in the blood. Uh, so those are the things that are going to be important to prevent it from happening. Just because someone has a stroke and has permanent brain damage and they're on some medicines, they're still not 100% protected against any future strokes. So it's going to be an ongoing uh, treatment plan to make sure that your health is right for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and I would say for the patients who have had a mini stroke, everything is different now. And so you need to go in and sit with your primary care or if you're being followed by a neurologist so that you can discuss, I, I've now had this mini stroke because we're going to be more aggressive on what is an okay cholesterol level. You know, where we mm -hmm. used to have a different cutoff, we're gonna to wanna to be more aggressive with that. Um, or in discussing, you know, are you taking an aspirin or other things that can work for prevention and most definitely on the eat right and exercise, you know. Um, I like to say God whispers and if we're listening, he won't have to speak louder. And so sometimes we have to listen to those mini strokes that don't end up with permanent loss uh, so that we can make those lifestyle changes and recognize that um, we are a product of what we put into our system and we need to be more careful because God has whispered to us now. So mm -hmm. let's not make him speak louder. That's right. Um, on a, uh, one quick question, there's been a lot of back and forth on aspirin and a lot of people, because it's over the counter, will take it upon themselves to start themselves an aspirin. And of course, any uh, medication over the counter as well has its potential side effects. And especially with older people, uh, we get concerned with GI bleeds and people who are taking aspirin. Um, if someone has had a mini stroke, uh, what is the recommendation on aspirin and the dosing? Uh, great question because there's a little distinction between what we call uh, primary prevention and secondary prevention. Uh, primary prevention, you would think that if I take this aspirin, I'll never have a stroke. Because in primary prevention, a, a person has not had a stroke or a TI in the past, and they're going to go ahead and take it then. Uh, in neurology, we have no information for aspirin in primary prevention. So I can't really recommend to people to take an aspirin just because you feel like it and think that this is what's going to be the best thing to do. Uh, and secondary prevention means that someone had a mini stroke or a TIA or have had a stroke before and now they have to take the aspirin. Uh, the dosage doesn't really matter so much, actually. Okay. You know, it's been studied from a low dosage to over a thousand milligrams a day, uh, and it seems like uh, more of it might be a little bit more stroke preventative, but more of it causes more uh, stomach bleeding, uh, and as a result of that, really, it's um, I start people off with a baby aspirin. If that's not sufficient, for example, they take a baby aspirin and there's another TIA or stroke later on, then we really have to talk about maybe adding more medicines that will. Uh, achieve just a little bit more stroke prevention in that regards. Excellent, thank you. What does um, like life after stroke look like? Like I know there's a lot about rehabilitation, and I mean a lot of patients sometimes will lose function of you know one particular part of their body or their arm and their leg, and so a lot of stroke patients we see like they're depressed because they're having to do all this rehab and having to learn you know like redo their homes so that they can get into them if they're wheelchair bound now. So what do you see from a neurology standpoint like life after stroke? Uh, I still believe that there's a, there's a reason for everything. 
You know, if, if God doesn't call us home and we're still around, um, no matter how badly the stroke affected us, is, is for a reason. You know, so a stroke is brain damage. And anytime you have brain damage, you actually will lose some of the brain cells that are pumping out some of these happy chemicals. Some people will get depressed for sake of like, I can't run and kick that ball like I used to. Uh, the chemical depression means that those happy chemicals that are missing will give them depression symptoms as well. Um, but you're still here. You're still mm -hmm. alive. Mm -hmm. If you have these symptoms, we can treat it. Uh, a lot of stroke centers have realized that when someone comes in with a stroke, they may go ahead and just put them on an antidepressant medicine from day one mm -hmm. um, or maybe a stimulant uh, to kind of get them going, realizing that when they get to the point of you're not dead yet, it's been several days, now we're going to rehab you back up, that they're going to be more motivated in those yeah. scenarios. Uh, so getting back to your life is important. I always tell my patients, we may never be 100%, but that's our goal is to try to get that 100% back. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about physical therapy post-stroke. How important is that? What role does it play? It's extremely important. I'm a huge fan of physical therapy. Um, it's going to be good for any time, even when you just have a muscle knot. But if you have uh, a problem where there's a part of your body that's not moving, a physical therapist is going to be the best person to be trained saying, this is how we're going to build you back up. Uh, you know, working out and lifting a weight is probably going to cause some tendonitis elsewhere. And, and the, the older you get, the more likely that's going to happen. Uh, so getting that professional advice from a physical therapy, how to retrain uh, what's missing physically um, is, is very vital. Yeah, I've had patients where they've been post-stroke and they um, haven't had huge residual loss. You know, when people have huge residual loss, they're paralyzed completely on one side. We, of course, know we're going to do what we can with physical therapy. Um, but I've had people who've had more subtle loss. And I always, when someone is post-stroke, ask them to see physical therapy. Um, and it is really, with very little exception, that they don't come back and say, I didn't realize that mm -hmm. I actually was using my arm to push myself out of the chair because my leg was weaker than I realized. We can accommodate in such great ways, but the quicker that people get into physical therapy after a stroke, the more that I have seen that they can get back to as close to normal and as close to pre-stroke as possible. So I always encourage people to do physical therapy even if they've had small amounts of loss or we're not really quite sure. Many times the physical therapist will evaluate them and say, oh yeah, you thought you were totally back to normal, but you're not, you're actually cheating. You're, you're using the strong side to counter that. Um, and I've found that it really helps, or even things like swallowing issues or other things that people didn't realize that they had, but it can increase uh, choking hazards or um, other risks that the physical therapist will often catch. So one of my, I, without exception, when I've seen someone post-stroke is, well, we're going to go to physical therapy, and then the physical therapist can tell you when you don't need to come anymore. <laughs> That's correct. You know, early is best, as much as possible is good. Um, and there's a general rule, and a lot of my patients say, no, I'm going to beat this. And the general rule is uh, a year after your stroke, wherever you're at physically could be your new normal. Uh, and I love it when a patient says, nope, that's not going to be for me. I'm going to keep working on this and get it back up because that's what you need to do to get back to living your life. Yeah. What happens with physical therapy post-stroke? We've had brain damage. We know that brain, heart, certain organs don't heal themselves. And so you have a stroke, you have brain damage, there's certain things you can't do right after. And then you go to those magicians of physical therapists and then you get some function back. How does that work? 
where uh, let's say there's a part of the brain that has a stroke and it causes one side to be weak or, or flaccid. It just doesn't move and it's just kind of limp. Um, the, uh, those brain cells controlling it many times are gone. They're not coming back. Now the brain cells around those brain cells are trying their best to uh, build you back up. They're going to try to do their job, and they're going to try to do the job of the brain cells that are missing. And so they need to be stronger, uh, and that's where the physical therapist is. We're going to learn how to move this arm or leg in a way that we weren't able to do before. And we're going to get better at it, and you're going to exercise. It's just like learning to, um, um, to, to play golf or swing a club that you've never done before. Well, you can learn to do it now. Uh, and so that's how the physical therapy is going to get your brain cells who are left behind, who are still working, to communicate with your body and make sure that communication gets stronger and stronger. It's absolutely incredible to me how the brain can figure out, you can train the living brain cells to be able to do some of what is lost and for people to understand that so that they really get right into that work. Mm -hmm. um, what would be your takeaway information to make sure that people have when it comes to strokes? Uh, don't wait. You know, if there is going to be uh, any symptom that's new and changed, you need to have that evaluated right away. Um, you know, stroke.org uh, is going to be what we learned from the cardiologists and what neurologists are doing now. Of all the things that we can do health-wise, what to watch for is good reminders. It's good reminder for yourself to know. So that way, if you have a family member or a buddy who showed up and says, yeah, I can't feel this, um, I'm just going to sleep it off. You know, as, a, as an individual saying, no, you got to get this checked out right away. So those are things that could be important, not only to take care of yourself, but for the people around you. Fabulous. A really common uh, problem, strokes, TIAs, uh, and a really important thing to talk about. So stroke.org, really important to remember. That's a great reference. Um, thank you all for listening in as we talk about stroke today, and hopefully there's some information here that you'll uh, find useful. We like to leave you on a good note. So here is today's Tell Me Something Good. Something good is learning. Whether by reading, taking a structured class, or simply listening to someone who knows something that is new to you. Gaining information is so fun and simply makes us better. So attempt to learn something today. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, take care of yourself.